We are so blessed to be able to experience Christmas through our children. If I could have done that at eight years old, I would really be a preacher today. I can't get over of what these precocious children can do at such an early age, how blessed we are. I want to take you back uh, to the very beginning when God was creating people. One of the things that he did as soon as he had identified his special people, the Jews at the time, was he had a way of uh, setting somebody apart like myself, and then he'd call them together, and he would reveal to them, first orally, and then it was written down in a book, uh, truth that came only from God. And the people would gather around the teacher, and they would submit themselves to that truth because they realized they were God's chosen people and that this was his word of love to them. And they would listen to it, they would submit to it, and they would benefit and grow from it. Uh, that uh, tradition has continued even till this morning. And we're here to open the book and to look at a truth that's uniquely from God. It's not a theory. It's not something we either take or leave. As the people of God, we say this is truth. We commit our lives to it and respond accordingly. And I would have that, that uh, kept in mind by all of us as we bow before what I would call the most important part of Christmas today. God said it. And it's up to us to make a response. Would you bow with me as we study this today? Lord, we're grateful that when we say Jesus saved us, that as Christians we know that, what that means. Not only saved us from sin, but saved us from a world without hope, without future. Saved us from a life of cynicism and pessimism. How grateful we are as Christians entering another Christmas that there's light ahead, paving a way of hope so that we can live with joy in our kind of world. Open our eyes to that truth this morning, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want us to think about a very special chapter of the Christmas story. One too many Christians seldom think about talk about even less, and even feel somewhat uncomfortable dealing with the subject. And yet without this part of the story, Christmas would be an empty day of sentimentality. The cross and the resurrection of our Lord would be meaningless. I'm referring obviously to this expectation we hold as followers of Jesus that our Lord one day will come back a second time to this earth, not as an infant, but as a king, to establish his reign. And at that time, believers are going to be received with him to be with him in heaven. I, I want us to consider these incredible future plans that Jesus has prepared for you, if you're a Christian, because I believe that a refresher course in our hope will give deeper meaning to our Christmas this year. So first, we reaffirm history for the Christian is moving toward a time when Jesus will return to earth. Here's this text, difficult for many. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire. This last week, if you caught it on CNN, a group of nuclear experts, and I've never quite decided who they are or where they're from, but they've come up several times. They have this big nuclear clock, and after the Cold War, they push the hands back from 12 midnight, and... This last week, they pushed it ahead to 14 minutes before 12 o'clock. And at 12 o'clock, supposedly, that's the nuclear holocaust 
that's going to happen to the world. It was kind of an encouraging thing to see on the news as you look ahead. And, and what really struck me is, if you don't have Jesus Christ and you live in that kind of world with this kind of clock hanging over our head, as most of, of us has, have done for our entire lives, it's a little scary. These guys said that because the terrorists now have acquisition to the, or access to the bomb, that it's really more dangerous than the Cold War time. It, there is always a cloud of new terror of some kind hanging over our fragile world. In contrast, Christians, instead of seeing the clock, see Jesus in control of our future. Because we know, rather than theorize from so-called experts, we have the Bible, and the Bible tells us what's in the future. We look forward to our Lord's return, to that incredible moment when he will call us, his followers, living and dead, to be with him forever in heaven. The Bible describes it this way. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they'll gather the elect from one end of heaven to the other. In other words, believers will not be part of any catastrophic end predicted for planet Earth. I find it significant that for centuries, the Jews anticipated the arrival of their Messiah. And when most of them had finally given up all hope, when so many awful things had happened to them, suddenly Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And I believe in a very similar way, Christians have been waiting for centuries for Jesus to come back. And as our text predicts, many have dismissed that hope as science fiction, as wishful thinking from the first century. And we've really lost that sense of expectation that Jesus is going to come. And yet, we affirm from this text that our Lord's future visit to earth is as certain as his first visit in Bethlehem. While the birth is only mentioned in two of the Gospels, the coming of Jesus in the future is mentioned in almost every book of the New Testament. It's the very essence of Christianity. Take that out of Christianity, and we have no Christianity. Holding to that hope, though, has equipped Christians through the centuries and today to live meaningful lives in a very fragile and at times very frightening world. It has taken the fear out of the fact that the death rate for everyone is still 100% in spite of vitamins and working out. We can't stop aging, we can't ignore death, but we have a culture totally dedicated to anesthetizing our thoughts about death. And we get involved in consuming and doing and pleasure, and we're trying to deny the fact that planet Earth is not a permanent place for us. Yet there are, I think, some very fair questions related to this event that if you're a thinking Christian, you should ask. I know I do. How can we rejoice in the prospect of everything we associate with life itself being destroyed? How will, how can God create a new heavens and a new Earth? What in the world does that mean? How will Jesus snatch believers into space? How can there be life after death? Obviously, much about our faith is God-sized, and we're not supposed to be able to comprehend it with our finite minds, but something happened recently that was of help to me and might help some of us with these questions. In Time magazine last month, the Hubble telescope picture was uh, recorded. The Hubble sent pictures from space 
containing things that the human eye has never seen since the beginning of time. This is the first Christmas people and Christians can go into the holiday understanding at least the potential of what our text is talking about. Time magazine calls this picture stars being born, and it might be one of the most significant pictures ever taken. This is a huge cosmic explosion thousands of light years away. The picture records a happening almost too big for our minds to grasp. Those clouds represent trillions of miles. They're showing new heavens being created somewhere in space right now. As Time Magazine states, and this is not a Christian document, this is scientists speaking, in a place some 1,500 light years from Earth, stars are being mass-produced by the dozen. The shock waves of these gases are going 150,000 miles per hour with cataclysmic effect. Here's the point. I'm not certain this picture will convince any skeptic, but I do believe it's a help for Christians who have to struggle with a text that today is viewed by many as science fiction, and we're finding that what's described in that text is happening. The same God who caused Jesus to be born of a virgin and then raised him from the dead is also able to bring this same Jesus back to earth and bring us as Christians with him to a new world called heaven. That's partially what this picture means. Looking forward to our Lord's future arrival, is God's light of hope shining into Christmas 1995 in spite of the clouds and the shadows and the darkness that are hanging over our world? Did you know that through the centuries, candles and stars and other sources of light have always been symbols of Christmas? But they're not pointing to the star of Bethlehem. They've always been pointing to that future return of Jesus an event that completes and fulfills the Christmas story. So as you drive down Santa Cruz this year and see the lights, that's a reminder, even though people really don't know what they symbolize, that Jesus is coming again. But we Christians know that. And I trust we're going to find encouragement from that fact. Secondly, this future hope of ours calls believers to a lifestyle of watchfulness and preparedness. Our text says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed his coming. So then make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Jesus. In Luke's gospel we read, but take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a snare. Watch at all times. We need to study this text about our future hope because everything in our culture is bombarding us every single day to think only about this world, to discount the future, to make us believe that the only dreams worth holding, the only thing really worth having are things connected with this life, and that's a myth. And yet it's very addictive. One well-known man in the news was recently asked about God, and this was his response. I'm a scientist and therefore an agnostic. I don't think about God. I predict a time will come when that man will have to think about God and about death and about where he will spend eternity, and I only hope he thinks about it in time. 
But what about us? What is preparedness? What's watchfulness? Well, the text makes the obvious thing that today, if we know what's up ahead, we're called to live a godly life. And so if somewhere you're crooked, this is a time to repent and get washed off and let Jesus, in light of this hope, say, Lord, I've blown it. I've gotten off track, but I know who I am and I know where I'm going. Will you forgive me and help me now to live a life of obedience? It's worth it in terms of what's up ahead. But to watch and be prepared for our Lord's return means other things. I believe it makes us free to be generous. Knowing the only things we can really keep are those we give away, we, unlike many other people in our culture, can keep a very loose hold on the things that everybody's scrambling to get. You've probably noticed, as I have many times along Santa Cruz, you'll see a, a sign tacked up to a telephone pole, quote, estate sale. Someone died and they left all their earthly possessions behind. If that's all we're living for, folks, we're making a bad deal, obviously. But Christians are equipped to keep a correct balance. We know what's up ahead. And so we want to invest part of what God has given to us to help heal this world while we're here. C.S. Lewis comments, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who, who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. Too many of us have bought into the addiction of things and we've forgotten that everything we have is entrusted to become a healing force for God while we're here. There's another step of preparedness for our Lord's return and that's to know we don't have to make heaven happen here. Because we have a future, we can accept the aging of our bodies, the incompleteness of our desires and dreams. We don't have to panic at the doomsday prophecies from the nuclear experts. We know nothing will or can happen to believers that can take away our future inheritance. That's security. I was talking with someone yesterday who's going into Christmas very upset. She has dreams that have not been fulfilled, and every Christmas it gets extra hard. And she said, you know, it was just good to be reminded that my heaven doesn't have to happen here, that I can have a complete life even if I don't get what I think is going to be absolutely necessary to have a complete life. God can make that right for me later on. That's important for you to know, you who are carrying heavy burdens into Christmas with many broken dreams and unfulfilled desires. If you're a Christian, God has all eternity to make heaven happen for you. It doesn't have to happen here. Our culture sells us that bill of goods. It's a myth. Well, at the end of every sermon, my elders always want me to say, so what? So I like to ask, address the question, so what about this text? How does Christmas hope impact us? I gave it a lot of thought, and I decided the only way I can answer this question is on the personal level. First and foremost, I have a deep desire for you who sit under our ministry here to know Jesus and to accept him as your personal savior. And I never take it for granted that everyone here, even if you've been coming for years, have done that. So I guess I want to say that if you're one of those still wondering what to do with this thing called Jesus that we talk about so much, and you've been wavering, you know, this year, I would just tell you to just 
sign on the bottom line. Do it. Get things straightened between you and Jesus. I told you about a friend, I, I believe, a couple of weeks ago who was killed Thanksgiving Day. He and I went to Oxy together, Occidental down in Southern California, and somehow he got bent in those four years and became an agnostic, and he stayed that way all his life. And I, I don't think he planned to meet his maker Thanksgiving Day, and, and my heart broke because I was wondering, could there have been anything more I could have done to convince that guy to sign the line and accept Jesus? But he believed a professor rather than believing the word of God. And you know, I would do anything today to uh, try to convince, if there's one person I would have preached this sermon, to say this Christmas, say yes to Jesus. Maybe you caught on the news last week, this fellow was sailing south of San Diego and he was out there in nowhere, had a heart attack, and we sent a plane clear from Northern California with the parachute guys who went down and saved him. All that trouble for one life. This church would do anything to save one soul for all eternity. And I, 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 I guess at the personal level, I want to say the return of Jesus means you need to be prepared. And the way you get prepared is to become a Christian. And when you've reached out in faith to accept the gift that this Jesus died for you, that when he comes again, he's going to take you to be with him and you'll have eternal life. And, and here's the challenge. Maybe it's time to fish or cut bait. Either what we're talking about here in your mind is either a myth, and let's be consistent and, and just pull the cork on it, or submit to it and say it's the greatest news in history, and I submit to that because I believe it's God's truth. And there's really no in-between ground. Second, so what? Has to do with perseverance. I recently challenged us in a sermon, Don't Quit. There are many times when the struggle to be all that God calls me to be becomes so intense, when alternatives to obedience to God seem so attractive that my only anchor is to remember what the Bible says about my future. Knowing my life will go on far longer than this physical life on earth is a catalyst for me at least to enable me to hang faithful and to believe the price of obedience is worth it. A third so what and final one. We know we live in a culture obsessed with acquiring more of everything, obsessed with short-term goals, and with little regard for the eternal consequences of today's behavior. Personally, I have to pray constantly for God's help every day not to fall victim to this kind of lifestyle. It's attractive at times. And it's difficult to keep a balance between living responsibly in this world and yet looking forward to that time when Jesus is coming and to be around people every day who could care less and think I'm foolish for believing it. I find this, to the degree I neglect thinking about my future hope, to the degree I ne neglect a daily relationship with Jesus, I find I fall prey to the various addictions of this world. And my prayer for you and for me in our struggle is that this Christmas God will help us because of our hope to find a better balance between our concerns and our fears and our addictions to this world and our hope of the world to come. Let me summarize everything I'm saying in the words of somebody we hold in high esteem, Billy Graham. He says, there will be a glorious climax to human history. There is more to Christmas than the birth and death of Christ. There is also the ultimate triumph of God's kingdom. At his birth, he was laid in a manger. At his death, he wore a crown of thorns. But when he comes again, he'll be He'll come as commander-in-chief of the armies in heaven. 
He will take control of this war-weary world and bring the permanent peace for which we yearn. A new world will be formed. A new social order will emerge. The king is coming. And when he comes, sin will be eliminated from the human scene. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, and war shall be no more. We won't hear that on the media, but that's God speaking in terms of that truth, and we can stake our lives on it, brothers and sisters. So I trust, as we've been reminded of the last chapter of the Christmas story, our sense of expectation and joy this year will increase as we prepare to celebrate the birth of this Jesus who was and is and is to come. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you that our hope is a light in today's darkness. That where there is hope, there is light. And, there is, and where there is light, there's hope. Thank you for that truth. Use it in our lives now to prepare us for the best Christmas ever. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.